Another week brought to you by Gravy. Gravy, the number one food staple of England. What's the most notable gravy company? Is like Stovetop? Do they make gravy? Heinz. HP? Ketchup in your gravy? Stanislav, we got to do the traditional opening where we talk about the differences between the US and the UK. So what is HP sauce exactly? Like Hewlett Packard? It's it's called brown sauce. <laughs> brown sauce. Okay, well, it's called brown HP is brown sauce? Yes. Is it like is it is it like steak sauce? Uh well it's made out of tomato, molasses, dates, apples, tamarind, spices, and vinegar. Yeah, sounds like sounds like steak sauce. Yeah, some some call it Yorkshire relish. Like a mix between steak sauce and barbecue. Tell us about gravies, Stanislav. They're everywhere. I was just telling Shane that, and Devin. Not Devin, not Devin. Not De- I told Devin to close his ears. <laughs> Devin earmuffs. British people, they just put gravy on everything. They don't use sauces. They use brown sauce, red sauce, which is ketchup, and and gravy. No, no, they call it red sauce. They call it red sauce. That's appalling. I know. <laughs> They also don't know what Grey Poupon is. Do you put do you put gravy on your cheeseburger? No. You put red no. sauce on it. Uh, I suppose. What about yellow sauce? I prefer I prefer yellow sauce. sauce. Frankly, I probably would even take mayo over ketchup. I'm I'm from Chicago, so like ketchup is kind of persona non grata where I'm from. Oh mm. yeah, you, yeah, Not- you, the Chicago dogs. You don't put ketchup on the Chicago dogs. Well, we just kind of look down on ketchup in in most regards, but. French fry a- accompaniment is tolerable. Oh, yeah. It's delicious. It's perfect. Okay. Well, okay. You're from Chicago, so we have to settle the debate. Is Chicago deep dish a pizza or a casserole? It's a pizza. What's a ca- what is a casserole by you definition? Look up, we could look up the definition. I like the long pause. Devin's like, I, I'm accusing this thing, but I don't have a definition to back this up. Here, here's the thing. Here's <laughs> the thing. my argument. I, while I do believe that it is, a, it is a pizza, I'm also in the camp of that, like, uh, hot dogs, tacos, burgers, those are all sandwiches. Okay. Okay. You I'm, not, I'm not getting into this. <laughs> Open face sandwich. Yeah. It's just, just for what like, it's worth, a casserole is a kind of large deep pan or bowl used for cooking a variety of dishes in the oven. It also is a category of foods cooked in such a vessel. So. Hmm. It is cooked in a deep pan, so. And I am uh, Tanner, dropping the intro music here right now. Hello and welcome to episode 251 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line... Wait, I'm not in Chicago... You're not. <laughs> I'm not. I, I the notes don't even say Chicago. It, it says here in Did Manchester. Like... <laughs> I wasn't reading the notes. I haven't oh, okay. read the notes in months. <laughs> just wing it, baby. I just wing it. Yeah, I'm in Manchester. Denver's in Chicago. I mean, Shane is in Denver's Denver. In Chicago. <laughs> I my name to, to Denver. Guys, I'm sorry. It's 930. I've had a really long weekend. I did watch Frozen 2 this weekend. That was nice. How was it? It was pretty good. A lot of lore. That's the lore oh, movie. Nothing I love more than like, you know, Scandinavian ice lore. 
That's what that is. Uh, and with us from somewhere in New England, his ISP keeps changing his location. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's Doomwake, a.k.a. Devin O'Donnell. You know, I will say, I uh, I tried to stream earlier this morning, didn't work, and then I saw I was on the phone with my ISP for a good 30 minutes, and then I was able to stream for five hours today. So apparently, whatever they did, it fixed it. So I'm, I'm, I was following the drama on Twitter, because you put out a call for help, like... Hello world, I'm Devin O'Donnell. Um, and you were having trouble streaming this, was it just this week? Was it a sudden outage? What happened? Yeah, it was just this week. So I looked into it a little bit more and I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but ISPs can throttle upload speeds and apparently it's more common than you would think. And where it's like, if you get to In a America? certain- a certain data limit, yeah, they can just like basically, it's almost like a bartender cutting you off if you've had too many shots. Like they just, they just cut you off. And while they don't, you know, openly explicitly state that they do that because it's like frowned upon, but they, they, they do kind of do it. Now, before Shane asks the, the two questions, question the first, A, are you hardwired? And B, yes. are you using the ISP provided router modem or do you get your own third party ones? No, I'm, I'm using the ISP provided one, which that may be causing issues too. Maybe I should look into getting a better modem. I mean, that's not gonna that's not gonna skirt the whole upstream thing, unfortunately. Not, yeah. That just skirts downstream. I mean, doesn't I mean it? It will allow you to maximize your available bits. It's not gonna like it's not gonna avoid any kind of throttling your ISP is providing. Sure, sure. unfortunately, right, right. The the question I was gonna ask though, really, is why are we here this week? My understanding was that we had this week off. That yet here we are. Yeah, Dave kept threatening that this weekend <laughs> wasn't that this episode wasn't happening, and but there were so many tournaments that we had to talk about the tournaments. Yeah, I mean we've got NRG this week. It is actually the final tournament of the NRG series before the championship, I believe, next month. Whoa! So that is important for us to discuss because we have to see the fallout of all that and see who the uh what the at large entries and also the final winner will be as well so that'll be exciting mm. and we're not actually going to know that until the end of today which is sunday because they have the side events you know they have the pioneer uh, 5k i believe going today all those points count towards the final standing so we are not going to have a final update on those for you today i don't think yeah and one thing that nrg posted i believe they tweeted it yesterday which uh there was uh so steven Dykeman has been crushing the event basically this series all year, and he actually got passed in the player of the year race due to, uh, I believe it was Kyle Gonzalez. I think they top aided Kyle Gonzalez top aided the event and they passed Steven, but then there was still the Pioneer 5K to go. So it's like, you know, they basically just a sweat all the way into the last event, which is pretty sick. <laughs> Exciting. That's what but, happened with Jesse Robkin last year, too. Yep. That, that, oh, that's really? kind of cool that like every year the energy player of the race player of the year race kind of comes down to the final tournament because it's so neck and neck with these competitors but that's going to be the final thing we talk about today is the nrg modern event i believe but before that i want to talk to you about heavy play it's my turn actually devin mm. devin you, you want to talk to us about heavy play because you are you can you can even throw them your code i'm going to give it to you this week devin really do it you sure about yeah, that? Give All me right. your code. Give me your right, code. We'll do an ad read. So for those of you who don't know, Heavy Play is a new card gaming accessory that'll improve your gameplay and your game day. 
The Playmats deck boxes and card sleeves feature enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection, and they use this amazing equip mag system which allows you to magnetically attach dice, bundle decks, and carry your playmat. You have to carry everything all in a single hand. And I gotta say, I did a little uh, test run of my LGS the first week that I got them, and it was pretty sweet, and I had a couple of people ask me uh, for, you know, the, the code and stuff, but yeah, com my code is Doom very simple, it's Doomwake with uh, zeros, D-0-0-M-W-A-K-E for 10% off of your first order. There you go. If you didn't pick up the ridiculous uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale, you can you can make up for it now using Doom's code. Or, you know, if you want to use our code, look for it. You'll find it. I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to give it all to Doomwake this week. He deserves it. Wow. What are we doing this week, Stan? Well, on this week's show, we're breaking down three Pioneer tournaments. Somehow. Somehow. We have the car Canadian regional championship we have japan and korea's regional championship combined and we have the latin american regional championship three pioneer tournaments in one weekend unbelievable america's is coming up in three weeks three weeks three weeks december 15th so there may be implications for the final rc in the western hemisphere of the year i oh. guess it's probably the final rc in the world of the year um, i think it is here's yeah. hoping yeah so there could be some implications from this weekend's results for our American competitors. And then we're going to wrap up with a breakdown of the Energy Modern 10K that took place on Saturday as well. Sweet. We got some housekeeping, by the way. We do. We, do. we, ha we have a new Patreon. New patron? Oh, no, I keep saying Patreon. That's such a weird noun. Um, patron, DJ Rathiel. So DJ Rathiel. Pump up the jams, DJ. S spinning all the IDM hits. Uh, you know, some square pusher, some autoker. Rhythm is a dancer. Bowery. Uh, we have no new reviews. I, I I didn't see anything that came in on the old Spotify last week, but I do know that Dave, I think, has to like approve those. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's been doing family stuff. He's not on Spotify looking at random comments. So we'll see what people got for us next week. Patreon. If you want to be like the DJ and help support us, we definitely appreciate it. It's the, it's the giving time of year, so why not give back to your favorite Magic the Gathering podcast, whether that's us or somebody else, you know, but think about us, patreon.com slash the dive down. If you want to get in the store, hopefully you took advantage of the Black Friday code that we had that ran through Cyber Monday, and uh, if you did not, thedivedown.com slash store, see what you might have missed out on. The prices are as fine as we can make them. We don't really have much margin on those, I will be honest with you. So if you want something, uh, go and grab it. We appreciate it. If you want to use Mana Traders, the best online card rental service that I'm aware of, you can use code thedivedown23. That's just, that's numbers, thedivedown23. Uh, the reason I mention this is because that gets you 10% off your first two months. Barrister and Man changed up the code because, you know, those code finding things like honey pick up on them eventually. Mm -hmm. Good for us, bad for him. Uh, the dive down 23. 23 is in words, okay? The dive down 23. So spell out 23. You can wow. do it. Wow. I believe in you. Wow. Yeah. And NRG Plus, our friends over at New Rage Gaming, you get 8% off your order using code dive8. There we go. Some efficient housekeeping. Thank you, Shane. And I'm just going to keep going. Do it. Do it. Because I, I, I typed all this up. It's so it's so odd to type something up and then to be like, does it make sense for me to read this? Or is Stan going to try to read my my words in his voice? You know what would be great is if we could just dump all the results into ChatGPT with the prompt, prepare a 75-minute podcast episode with room for banter. Oh my gosh. Based on these results. You think we could, we could try that? 
we wait, could try wait, I, it. I got an idea. We could just take the entire episode and put it into like one of the uh, Twitch bot chat readers or whatever, because you like the text to text to speak things. <laughs> yes. Oh, just have Brian read the whole episode. It's even better. The you know I think you know if we're doing like some four hour work week stuff, Stan, we, we just we just hire we hire interns to do this work for us, and we 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 say, hey, prepare prepare an episode with our witty banter and in our voice. And then people quickly realize that we're easily replaceable. Yeah, they just do it themselves. I don't think I don't think the guy in Four Hour Workweek was hiring interns. I think he was hiring low wage labor from foreign countries. Yeah, I think that's yeah. Let's not let's not discuss that particular model of economics because it is appalling to me. Uh, but Pioneer Regional Championships, we've we have Chile, Japan, somewhere in Canada. That's a big country. This, these three RCs give us a really a substantial opportunity to look at how this meta shakeup, I'd say, after the Lost Caverns of Ixalan dropped, how that's impacting the format. Are people you know, really flocking to these Discover decks? Are they trying to tech against them? Are these decks actually performing? And we have a bunch of data now, and unfortunately for you all, we are going to talk about this data. We have that Atlanta RC in three weeks, like Stan mentioned, and so the results of these tournaments are almost certainly going to inform at least how people kind of begin their approach or continue their approach to deck selection, deck tuning, all that kind of good stuff. I mean, I will say, Devin, uh, I want your take on this. Three weeks, is that like an eternity or what? Kind of, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's what what I mean, it definitely gives people a little bit of time to prepare and adjust based on what people are seeing and the, and the trends, but I mean, there's also you. you know, maybe we can talk about this later. There's also a ban window in that in in that time frame. So you know that that could potentially lead to something as well. Yeah, that's a thing that I think we will need to talk about. Right? Is like we have that window is for the post release ban, like the sort of emergency, you know, big red button, wah, 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 get these cards out of here. So. I mean, I don't know when you can really fully commit to anything at this point. Uh, I, I do want to mention that we did use data from MTG Melee, or I guess it's just Melee, and mtgmeta.io. Meta, I think, does a little bit of data cleaning, which I truly appreciate. So, like, you know, just just know that these numbers might not perfectly align with any one data source, but they're going to be quite close. Just want to provide that caveat. I started with the Japan, Korea, you know, East Asia Regional Championship, and... They had 244 players over there. And this is an interesting meta. This is a big shift in terms of representation because we have Quintorius combo at 16%, just flat out 16%. Um, and then right behind it, the Discover combo, which I guess would include what the Geological Appraiser combo. Yep. So that, those are the two decks. Quint combo, geological appraiser combo, made up about 28% of the room alone. That's absurd. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that is a very quick, very fast shift over to those strategies. In fairness, they are the hype decks. And I think we, until this weekend, I don't think we really knew quite how good or not good they were. So I think... There was like good money on assuming they would be quite popular, you know, just because I think people saw them break out last weekend and were really impressed with initial results. And 
Yeah, the only event that we really had was that showcase, the Pioneer Showcase, where we had Quintorius in first place discover Geological Appraiser in second place. But, you know, obviously people want to talk about what decks won the event and what decks top made it. But if you like look at the rest of the top 32, there wasn't, at least to my knowledge, I don't think there was any of those discover decks littered throughout any of the top 32. And yeah, you're right. It's like people it's it's the breakout deck of the weekend. People wanted to see how good how good they were if if they were good at all. And yeah, kind of not surprising. I may be a little surprised to see Quint overdiscover. Just a, a little bit of a difference there. I think the geological appraiser version is better, but the Quint combo did actually win the showcase, so it kind of makes sense there. For sure. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I don't really know how to approach this right now. Meaning, like, okay, th- there is a very small window of time. I've been preparing for our regional championship for hopefully weeks ahead of time, and then this new format comes shakes things up and you know 29 28 percent of the people in the room are just like i guess this is the best deck this is the thing that i need to be running right now and that's mildly surprising to me we'll see what the you know what the metagame and the other tournaments was like a little bit later but definitely the elephant you know the real actual literal elephant in the room of quintorius so ha 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 i got that one out of the way the after that we've got Rakdos, you know, kind of our traditional, you know, decks. We've got things like Rakdos Midrange at 11, Boros Convoke at nine and a half, Lotus Field Control. This is something that I was mildly surprised to see in this representation, really across all the tournaments that I looked at this weekend, was the Azorius Lotus Field, I believe it's just Azorius Lotus Field Control deck, uh, kind of making a pretty good comeback. We'll talk about its performance later. Is this something that people are playing more of in Pioneer lately, Devin? Or is this kind of like, this is the weekend when people were like, hmm, maybe we should be doing Lotus Field Control? So the uptick in control is definitely a response to the Quintorius decks. Uh, These, not just Quintorius, but the Discover combo decks, both Quintorius and Geological, because those decks are, the way that they are kind of presented in terms of game one, they're like all in on shoving on one Cascade card. Now they're good at casting a second copy, but if you just have a counterspell for their Cascade card, then you know, they just don't do anything. So because they're all in on resolving one specific card, I think just an uptick in control in general does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and they're frequently like using resources as well, right? Like they're using a treasure token that they made. They might be only on three lands. They might have to get to another land or play another uh, treasure-making spell to get to even four again. So after Convoke at 9.4, Lotus Field Control at 4.9, Is It Phoenix also at 4.9, Azorius Control at 4.5, and then we have Obzon Explorer at 4.1 and Obzon Greasefang also at 4.1. So, and then everything 3% or below, there's nothing in the threes at all. We have 29% of the field is at 3% or lower. So yes, you heard me right. Things like Racto Sacrifice, Mono Green Devotion, Lotus Field Combo, Mono White Humans, they're all 3% or below at this regional championship. Lotus Field itself was at 1.23. So people are definitely, people are definitely not uh, riding that particular uh, Lotus Field shaped horse into the arena. I don't know, the rodeo. Lotus Field shaped elephant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, my, you know me, I love a good metaphor, like Lotus Field shaped horses. Um, I want, I know that you all talked about kind of these big new decks Last week, I did listen to the episode, uh, weirdly. the But I think, I don't remember y'all talking a lot about Quintorius combo versus kind of the Discover combo. So I wanted to outline that a little bit. 
for myself and others just to make sure I had the, you know, I, I understood it correctly. I, this looks like a control ramp combo deck to me. And it focuses, of course, on discover mechanic. And then all of the cards to make discover work are sort of cheating the mana value of like the interaction of like Leyline Binding or Virtue of Persistence, which has an adventure, one in the black spell called Lockthwain Scorn. It does a minus three, minus three, also gains you life. Kind of important in these decks, I imagine. Consigned to Oblivion, the consigned side is one in the blue bounce. Trumpeting Carnosaur is a two and a red discard, and it deals three damage to a creature or a planeswalker. And then you have like land tutors, like Beanstalk Giant, which has the two and a green, you know, get a basic land put on the battlefield. Herd Migration is one in a green discard. Search for a basic land, put it into your hand, also gain three life. And then Greater Tanuki, which is a card I have seen in a lot of different numbers and a lot of different these diff- different Discover decks, is two in a green discard, search for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield, tapped. And so yeah, that's your thing. You're interacting where you need, you're ramping when you can, and then you play Quintorius on five and you minus three to Discover. And your options are Spark, Double, or Clever Impersonator. Copy Quintorius, minus three again. You do that over and over and over again as many times as you need, and Quintorius is static, deals two damage to the opponent each time because you're casting cards from exile. So there you go. And one important thing to note about Spark Double is once you hit Spark Double, the rule, the, the wording on it says the name of Spark Double is not legendary, so you actually get to keep both copies of the Quintorius Planeswalker, and you get double X the static, and that keeps happening for more copies, because once you have the first double, your impersonator can copy the double, which is also not legendary. Yeah, because my question here was, is this infinite? Like, do, can, are you able to, like, recycle cards? Or you can do, like, what, like, 26, 30, like... How do you deal with if your opponent has a good amount of life, like they're playing angels or something? I think somebody did the math in my chat, and if you hit, if you have all six clones in your deck and you hit Spark Double on the first one, I think they said it was 76 damage, but it's not okay. infinite. Yeah, not infinite. Okay, that's what I wanted to check. Uh, I mean, Discover Combo, you talked about that last week. That's the whole make some treasures, get Geological Appraiser out early, do the whole Eldritch Evolution thing, Doom Scar, Titan them, attack them type thing. And then Obzon Explorer. This is a question I had for you, Devin. Is this an infinite life deck? It does not look like it. It looks just kind of like a life gain damage creature combo deck where that you just can like tutor up what you need with like cord, Coco, return to the rank, stuff like that. So the combo itself is not infinite. So for those of you maybe listening that aren't aware of the combo, it is Amalia Benavides Aguares with Wild Growth Walker. So what happens is Amalia says whenever you gain life, uh, I believe Amalia explores. And then Wild Growth Walker says when you explore, gain three life, put a counter on it. So those kind of bounce off each other. But what happens is Amalia has the text that says, you explore, and then if its power is exactly 20, you blow up the board with everything but Amalia. So basically, it's not infinite, but you hit, you keep exploring and gaining three life on each of those things until Amalia gets to 20 power, and then you just blow up the board. That's that's what the combo is. So, like, I played a little bit of the deck. It The amount of life that you gain depends on how many lands you hit, because every time you hit a land, while the, the Amalia doesn't get pumped, but you still gain the three life. So it kind of varies depending. Um, but on average, when I did the combo, I went to like 75 or and it looked like there were some other cards in there now as well like that just support exploring or support like pinging if you gain life or things like that just to kind of whittle your opponent down a little bit more 
Yeah, a lot of these decks are playing a copy of Dina Soul Steeper, I believe is the name. It's black and a green for a 2-2. Whenever you gain life, opponent loses that much life. Or I think the opponent loses one life or something. But yeah, basically, that's right. if you have that in play, then you uh, you just kill them because you get all the life that you gain and the combo just drains them. Uh, mm-hmm. One card that I will say I've been very, very impressed with when playing this deck is Cenote Scout. This is like the perfect Cenote Scout deck because we weren't sure if there was a deck that would want... Like, if you think about it, Cenote Scout is basically a one-mana, one point. 1.5, 1.5, and there's just not a lot of decks that really want that, but it this it this is kind of like the perfect deck for it. Sweet. All right. Thanks for letting me repeat a few things from last week. Uh, I wanted we can talk about the performance now because of course every, you know everyone's probably out there like, well, if this is 28 percent of the room, what are we looking at here? We are looking at not amazing results for Quintorius in Japan. It was a 36.7 percent win rate deck. Ooh. Not amazing. Worse than burn. <laughs> Somehow. Sometimes. Worse than burn. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go through the list, then we can kind of maybe... Eh, we'll just talk about Quintorius towards the end after we talk about all these tournaments, I think. But uh, Geological Combo was at 48.3. Not terrible, not amazing. Just under 50. Rack Mid at 54%. Boros Convoke at about 53.5. Azorius Control, 57 0.8. A nice return for Azorius Control here. Is it Phoenix at 57? Grease Fang down to 40.7. Azorius Lotus Field, the controlling deck, is at 54.5. And the Amalia combo, the Obzon combo deck, at 51.4. So, most represented, worst performing. at a, Across 196 matches. Again, our sample size here is not ridiculous, but... You know, it had losing matchups into every other major deck there. Its closest win rates were like 46.7 against Grease Fang and Mac, uh, Rakdos Midrange. It did really poorly against Is It Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, 15.4%, I mean, across 13 whole matchups. And Boros Convoke at 26% across 23 matchups. So those look like pretty weak areas. The Quintorius combo, of course, is really relying on ramping to get to five mana, right? And Borrow's Convoke is going to smash you before that, quite likely, unless you really get the interaction you need. What is Phoenix doing in that matchup that makes him seem favored against Quintorius? Because I, I just kind of assume that like Phoenix would have a harder time dealing with a Planeswalker than it would a creature-based combo. I agree. Well, you would think that, but a lot of <laughs> a lot of the Phoenix decks, at least the ones that I have seen, especially with Quintorius being such a big part of the metagame, are on four copies of Spike Field Hazard. Now, you might ask, how is Spike Field Hazard, in, you know, in interrupting this this one this one card combo? Oh, minus but three. Quintorius, when you minus it, it goes to one loyalty. So what happens is Quintorius goes off. They cast their clone. Quintorius is at one loyalty. You just Spike Field the Quintorius and stop their entire combo chain. Cool. It's all took. And Phoenix plays a bunch of spell pierces too. Yeah. So much like the geological deck that, you know, everyone saying, keep up interaction. It actually does actually works. It does. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Who one knew? thing, one thing I will say about this metagame, um, just like it, if you told me that Quintorius and Geological were going to be two of the more played decks, like these numbers kind of make sense. I think Grease Fang is pretty bad into it. We talked about the control decks being pretty good into it. Uh, and then one other thing that I want to mention, and I kind of said this, you know, I said this on my stream before going into the weekend. I really do think that Geological is just like, I'm not going to say, I don't want to use the term strictly, but I do think it is the much better version of the combo because it's so much more explosive. It has the ability to kill on turn three and Quint can't do that. 
Yeah. And I definitely noticed some of the geological decks seeming to kind of create a hybrid version where they're they're changing up the interaction to be almost more like the Quintorius interaction where they might have like leyline bindings instead of those like uh, split cards and stuff like that. So we'll talk more about this later as we get into some of the top eight decks and things like that. But yeah, I think that we have not seen the full evolution of the discovery strategy at all. I don't think yet, but we'll see where it goes. You know, like you said, the geological appraiser deck was like a 49% across 180 matches did pretty well. It was doing pretty well against things like Convoke and Rakdos Midrange and Quintorius Combo and Obzon Explore. But of course, like you said, the controlling strategies like Azorius Control, it only won like 22% of its matches. Lotus Field Control, like 35% of its matches. So definitely has opportunities to lose some games. And Azorius Control was actually the best performing deck in Japan about a 58% win rate, um, squashed those new combo strategies, fared well against things like Boros Convoke as well. That's a good place to be. And other strong performers, like I mentioned, like is a Phoenix at 57, Boros Convoke still did well. Azorius Lotus Field, Rakdos Midrange, all those like about 54%. So... Yeah, it's funny. Typically in Pioneer, it's as far as the metagame is concerned, we've usually seen green as kind of this natural backstop to blue white control. But green is so abysmal against these new combo decks that they've it basically have pushed green out entirely. And that means that's 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 when it's a good time to play control. Makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, this is a significant metagame shift, right? Well, is it a combination of both green is non-existent to beat up on the control decks and the control decks happen to be good against these combo strategies. So it's it's almost like a perfect storm, right? Yes. Yep. As, as, as soon as like these combo strategies disappear, maybe be, like in Quinn's case, maybe it's not good enough to keep up. Like we could see Mono Green have a little bit of a resurgence too. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, if 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 there's something that is done about the metagame to like where people are adapting more and to keep the combo decks in check, then yeah, potentially Green could come back. Let's get in this top eight really quick. We've got Motohiko Nakao on Geological Appraiser combo. This seems like a little bit tuned for the expected meta. Like there's a lot more interaction in the form of like Bedeck Bedazzle, Consigned to Oblivion, Repudiate, Replicate in some numbers in the deck there just to give some ability to stop the opponents from doing kind of the same thing, I think. Um, Interestingly here, I think that this deck can just sideboard into like a Dragonlord Dramoka deck. They have three in the sideboard. They have a single planes. I think to add another white source in addition to like the mana confluence and the cavern of souls and the main. Yeah, so why not just become a control deck? Win with Dragonlord? And their sideboard, I, I, this, I believe this was actually Ichi, Yuki Ichikawa's list, and their sideboard had Shefet Monitor, which is kind of a weird card to see in sideboard, but they just wanted another ramp spell because I think their plan in postboard games is just get the 10 mana and go, here's six mana, here's Dramoka, you can't counter it. Okay, here's my appraiser, you're dead. Mm, love it. Sounds like my kind of magic. Get to 10 <laughs> mana. <laughs> Not with three Stan, tron, uh, four laughing, lands. but... <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. The uh, second place, Katara Chiku on Boros Convoke. Uh, Warden of the Inner Sky, just part of this deck now. I know that you were singing its praises last week. Still liking it? Card's busted. Just Sweet. best card best card in the deck by far. It's so good. Wow, really? Yeah. I'm going to have to play it because I, I, I'm like, when do you have the time to do this? But I guess you have the time to tap some stuff. Third place, Kenta Musicato on Jund, Jund Transmogrify. I don't get this deck like it's i mean i get it it looks like just like token control like make make tokens control the opponent and then transmogrify the token into atraxa but like why is this not playing indomitable creativity why is it only doing transmogrify is there something i don't know 
Um, mana concerns. I think you also get to play Gigantha too with, with mm. creativity. You can't play Gigantha. I mean, think of it as just a mid range deck, but your threat is just a four mana Traxa, right? It, yeah, it's like a Traxa is okay. kind of like your your planeswalker of sorts. Sure, I'll take it. A uh, fourth place Jinsong Wu on the Rona Luka combo stuff. What what's your take on the Rona Luka? Why would you play? this into this metagame right now or is just like comfort level with rona or i mean i haven't really played the discover versus rona matchup that much the times that i did play against it i think i played one or two matches i think i lost both of them it seemed a little tough because they were like able to present a fast combo while also having interaction for years because they have helix so i mean it maybe it's not that bad i love not that bad that's what i look for this rona luca combo deck I'm looking at the deck list right now. It is Cocoa Bananas, and I, I feel like we haven't touched on it in a long time, but this is the one where it's got, like, it, it's basically oops all combos, right? It has, like, a Luka combo in there in addition to a Rona combo, plus Karn for good measure. It's a and wild it's a deck. Amber deck, no less. It's playing, like, a bunch of Legends, Bring to Light Valkyries in here, like... <laughs> It's just like, I'm going to put cardboard on the board and then I'm going to do like something absurd and crazy that wins me the game. I'm just not sure what it is at the start of the game yet. I feel like I, I, I want to be playing this deck for some reason. I don't know why. By the way, 83 cards. Perfect. Oh, the one I'm looking at main. from Japan. Yeah, 68 yeah. main. Yeah. I didn't Perfection. even realize that. Usually these decks play Orion, so. <laughs> Fifth place, Takumi Matsura on rack mid. Two Archfiend of the Dross main. There you go. Sixth place, uh, Shoichi Hasekawa on Boros Convoke. Seventh place, Yuta Yokokawa on Azorius Lotus Field. I will note that they have four Get Lost main, as we kind of predicted. That goes right into these Azorius Control decks in Pioneer. Uh, Yuya Hasekawa on Azorius Control also has four Get Lost main. And Kenta Masakado on Jun Transmogrify takes the whole thing down over Yuya Hasekawa on Azorius Control. So Jun Transmogrify getting the job done. Yeah, funny enough, just a quick note, I think this was actually something very, very similar to what uh, Gabe Nassif was playing. So pretty cool to see uh, to see this list do well. Looks like a pretty pretty clean list. W- was this Jun deck a known entity before the weekend? Because I, I kind of feel like I'm hearing about it for the first time it, from this tournament. Kind of. I don't really see it that much in the leagues. I maybe played against it like once, maybe twice tops. But yeah, it's not really all over the place, but it's... Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at like the list specifically, it does have a decent number of stuff to combat the like the, the explore decks, like three Torch the Tower is kind of a bit of a, a statement over Fatal Push. And because that one goes after both Quintorius and Geological Appraiser, whereas Fatal Push doesn't go after Quintorius. But yeah, it looks like they, they tune their deck pretty well. And the two cards in the main looks like a pretty sweet list. Sweet. Well, that is our Japan RC. And then we also have our South American RC complete. This is slightly smaller, 164 players, only eight Swiss rounds here. And the metagame is completely different, or fairly different at least. We've got Azorius Control at 9.2, Rack Sack and Rack Mid at 8.6, Lotus Field Combo, 7.4, Isn't Phoenix, 6.8, Mono Green Devotion, remember that, 6.1. Abzan Greasefang, 5.5. Mono White Humans, remember them, 5.5. Discover Combo, so the Geological Appraiser at 4.3. Boros Convoke at 4.3. Lotus Field Control at 4.3. Azorius Spirits. I've heard some rumors that these are good against these creature control uh, combo decks. I do not know. That's a 3. 
3.1. Then Enigmatic Incarnation and Gruel Aggro also at 3.1. So a lot more decks at 3% or above, only 19.5% in the kind of the other category. So a really flat metagame here. Many fewer pilots choosing to take the Discover combo decks on the flight. Uh, only like 1.2 were on the Quintorius combo, for instance. So 1.2 versus what, like 16 in Japan? Yeah. So that's a really big delta. Yeah, if, if you even if you combine them both, what you get to discover four point two, so you get the five point four versus twenty nine percent, so you know four times as much in uh, in Japan versus here. So, yeah, very yeah. interesting to see because uh, I kind of would have expected, like if you would ask me going in, I would probably have said that the combo decks would have been the most played in all three RCs. So it's a little bit of a surprise to see that them them you know the representation is so low in this event for sure. Interestingly though, we do have a pretty big difference in our deck performance. Um, kind of overall, I think a pretty big difference in performance in that Discover combo here, while it only had 46 matches, was a 65% win rate deck. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, even with like that few amount of matches, like mtgmeta.io kind of has the expected spread at above 50 as like from 50.8 to 77.3 it's a huge gamut you know because it's only 46 matches but not a bad start for discover combo here in south america mono green devotion was at 60 percent. i don't know how i mean you can say you don't know how but then you look at the metagame and you're like okay well they Control. didn't really have to worry about the the discover combo stuff yeah i think part of green doing so well is because control was the most played deck yeah and then it usually does adequately against the rakdos decks right yeah. Yeah. That matchup is always super close. There you go. So yeah, I had a good window of opportunity here over uh, down in South America. The Gruel Aggro deck did qu decks did quite well at like 57. Mono White Humans at 55.6. Lotus Field Control at 54. Raksak, Is It Phoenix, Azorius Control, Rakdos Midrange, all kind of hovering, you know, more or less about 50%. We go down to like Lotus Field Lotus Field combo here was pretty poor as well, 44%. Boros Convoke, really poor here, 43.6%. Azorius Spirits did not do well, maybe because people were thinking that it would do well against the Discover decks that weren't there, and Grease Fang at 40%. Well, Spirits, as a occasional Spirits player, like in a room full of Visit Phoenix, that's, that's a big problem. Like, we love to pick on the Mono Green Devotion decks, but Phoenix is, is tough. Gruel aggro can be quite tough as well. Yeah, and then same thing for the Convoke side too. Again, because Blue-White was just so overrepresented at this particular event, uh, I've played a lot of Convoke against Blue-White and that matchup is kind of abysmal because they just have main deck lockdowns and it's it's really, really hard to fight through that. So it doesn't surprise me that Convoke did pretty poorly here. And then Grease Fang too kind of makes sense. I think Grease Fang is a huge dog to the combo decks, uh, huge dog to Blue-White control. So it, it seems to, you know, kind of, it, it all lines up with once you look at the metagame, these, these win rates for the most part make sense. I mean, 65 is kind of alarming for discover combo but past yeah. that i think everything else kind of makes sense what is grease fang hoping to see by the way because we've seen grease fang do pretty poorly in the first two events i'm just curious like what is you know what are you looking to for like mono green like what are you hoping to get mm, i mean i they feel can... like it's trying to beat up on like low to the ground aggro decks right by just like going bigger than them and like having this crazy turn three. Yeah, I think Grease Fang is somewhat favored against Convoke. I would say it's slight favorite against Rakdos mid. Phoenix is kind of rough. Control's kind of rough. Sack is close. I would say maybe Grease Fang is slightly ahead. But then you look at the rest, it's like Lotus Field Control, terrible matchup. 
Uh, Modern Green Devotion, terrible matchup because they have Karn. Oh, yeah, yeah, Gruel yeah. Aggro, though, that's a matchup that Grease Fang does kind of prey upon, usually because their removal is Bone Crusher Giant, but yeah, it's like bad against Discover, bad against Control, bad against Phoenix, and then it's like once you once you get to that, it's like, what are, well, what you know, of the top decks, what are we actually beating? Sounds bad. I, I wonder if Grease Fang just wants to be in a room where everyone's comboing off and it just has like the strongest turn three every game where like an interactive matches where they can just like their grease fan gets countered or gets killed on killed on site, like that's kind of a, a bad environment. Well, the problem with it against Discover is even if Grease Fang is in the play and they turn three Barhelion you, it's not lethal. And then your opponent's just like, okay, end step cycle of treasure, untap play appraiser, you're dead. You know? Right. So it's like right. against against those combo decks specifically, that's that's not really where Grease Fang wants to be. Mm. Top eight really quickly, we've got uh Guillote, that's just the name that they have on melee geological appraiser combo. Julio Barano Espeo on Azorius Lotus Field, Benjamin Benjamin Vera on Mono Green Devotion, Joaquin Fuentes on Mono White Humans, Facundo Conde on Rona Luca, Santiago Bagatti on the Obzon Explore deck, Christian Valenzuela on Azorius Control, and Marcelo Lopez Lagos on Wrecked Sack. And Guillote, the mono-named person out there, takes it all down on the appraiser combo. They took both the semis and the finals without a loss. They lost five games across 11 rounds, I noticed. Not that bad. bad. Five games. (laughs) It's pretty good. Seems okay. Devin? Hey, Devin. How how can I be more like that? What do I need to Uh, do? Skill issue? Yeah. How do I improve my skills? I wish they had the die roll, like who went first in all those. (laughs) You know what's pretty crazy about this Amalia combo deck? I don't know if you took a look at the list, but they have four copies of Return to the Ranks, which is something yeah, that I, I hadn't that. I seen thought, yet. I thought that was standard. Is that not standard? I haven't seen that yet. Uh, at Makes least total the, sense the to list me. that I've seen. Yeah, it seems really sweet because like what ends up happening is so the way that the combo plays out is once your Amalia gets to 20 power, everything blows up. So what your yes. opponent can do is just wait for the combo to happen and then kill your Amalia. But the cool yeah, thing bad. about return is you just get everything back and go you basically just go again which is kind of sweet love it love doing things more than once so a uh, quick combined data discussion from these because so these were complete and mtg meta has the data and what mtg meta lets you look at is multiple tournaments combined together so i wanted to see if we got any cool data um, because you know as we noticed the meta game was pretty different the win rates are pretty different across both of these and I'll just start with performance overall, and both the control decks, Azorius Control and Lotus Field Control, were the standouts, although I guess I would also say Is It Phoenix was a standout. Those were at about 56%, and Is It Phoenix was like 55 So pretty darn good in terms of you know doing what they intended to do, which was control the room and win some games. Uh, the Obzon Explorer deck did well, 54. Mono Green Devotion, 54, mostly from its performance in South America. Mono White Humans, Rack Mid, Boros Convoke, Discover Combo, even Creativity were all like, you know, 52, 53% decks. And then we get a pretty big drop off after Creativity in terms of our popular decks, where we go to like 45 for Rack Sack, 42 and a half for Lotus Field Combo. You do not want to be playing Lotus Field Combo, I guess, right now. Grease Fang at 40.7. And then Quintorius for across both events, 38%. Ouch. Does not seem like it is the, that is the breakout 
Discover deck to be playing right now, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, that does kind of make sense with, because I, I do also think that the geological version is significantly far ahead in kind of like the combo heads up, especially the versions that play Gear Hulk's main, because you can just like, the, the mirror is so weird where both players just stare at each other. Neither player wants to commit because if you commit and they have the answer, then they untap and kill you. So you're <laughs> yeah. playing this like weird Drago thing. But if you have Opus and Gear Hulk in your deck and you're playing Drago with your opponent and they don't have that set up, it's like, it feels so hard to lose. Yeah, what's the intention for the Gear Hulks? I've seen like it looks like two in those style of decks. Like, what what are you just doing with it? Just value, or is it a particular like line that you're looking for? Like you mentioned with Magma Opus or something. Mostly just Magma Opus, but you do have the creative outburst as well. So you have like eight reasonable things that you can flash back, and both of those naturally go to the graveyard because they both cycle for treasures. So it just kind of gives you this like perfect setup where if your opponent's holding up mana, it's it's this like one thing where. Your, the Discover decks put your opponent in a spot where they have to hold up mana because if they don't, they die. But then if they're holding up mana, you're just like, okay, I'm just not going to combo you. And then if you have an Opus in your graveyard and they're still holding up mana, protect, protect, not dying to the combo, you just slam a Gear Hulk and you're just like, I'll dome you for four, make nine power. That's just going to kill you. And you have to answer this stuff. And then, oh, you answered it. Okay, now I'll kill you with my combo. <laughs> That's what I have from those two. The Canadian Championship still going on as we record, so we do not know not know the winner, but the winner doesn't really matter quite as much as the data we get from the rest of the tournament. 322 players, 13 rounds. That seems like a brutal number of rounds for that number of players. I don't think you need to have 13 rounds for 322. That's a grind. I feel like and I feel like the uh, this is held by face to face. And yep. I think face to face like routinely does this where like they have like they just want to put their players through the the full test so that they have to play as many rounds as possible to prove themselves in the arena. Well, don't don't they have to with this many players? Like is I don't that- think so. I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to look this up. Japan was 244 players and they had what? How many rounds was Japan? 11? No, they only have to do 9 rounds for um recommended number of rounds in Swiss tournaments. I don't know why they do 13. So many. Maybe just for that. It's all the advertising dollars face-to-face. The Rakdos mid-range. Okay, overall metagame. Rakdos mid-range. It's Canada. They're going to have They're gonna have the most up there. <laughs> it's a uh, real misplaced ginger metagame. Real True. misplaced ginger. Yeah, I mean, the metagame is shaping around misplaced ginger. 11.2% of the meta. Is it Phoenix? Uh, uh, 10.9. And then we have a, yeah, not a huge drop off. Then we go to stuff. I mean, this is all like stuff we know. Boros Convoke at eight. Geological Combo. Oh, I don't really know that very well. 7.45. Azorius Control, 6.8. Mono Green Devotion still here at about 5%. Azorius Lotus Field Control, 4.3. Lotus Field Combo at four. Grease Fang at like 3.7. Raxac at 3.4. Quintorius at 3.4. And Boros Aggro. This is a different deck that I had not seen anywhere besides this Canadian metagame. Um, a few of these were miscategorized as Boros Convoke, so I moved them. But Boros Aggro, it's just like, it's like a... Um, Skrelv and you know red aggressive oh, stuff. It's the legend. Embercleave. Yeah, looks like and a Loxhammer, right? That's a good question. I would assume so. Yeah. So let's let's click on stuff. This we was actually Pascal Maynard that five oh. This, this deck. is the one you guys talked about. Yeah, last we week. talked okay. about this last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, a lot of people brought it to this. I, we did not see it in South America or Japan, basically at all. But uh, like six players in Canada were on this. So oh, this is the Inti deck. Yes, want to play? We'll play. It didn't maybe, do particularly well, though. Maybe they brought it because it was good against Rakdos, and this is the misplaced ginger meta, so... 
So, you know, this is a more traditional seeming meta. We had about 11% combined on the Discover combo decks. But besides that, and the new Boros aggro deck, which is, you know, effectively an aggro deck, right? Like it's not doing anything particularly novel. It's just like, I'm a very good aggro deck, hopefully. The, you know, this is like what, what one might expect. So Canada, Japan, South America, all had pretty substantially different metagames. The performance also was very different in Canada. The Geological Appraiser deck did do well nearly 56%. Quintorius as well was also much worse, 43%. But Azorius Control and Azorius Lotus Field were not particularly special here. They both had like sub 50% win rates, unlike we saw in South America and Japan. But everything else was like very pioneer-y, like very hovering around 50%. Um, so you know what kind of makes sense? It, it, it's it's weird how all of these metagames, these numbers look different, but when you look at the metagame snapshot, it, it kind of all adds up. Yeah. So blue-white control was so dominant in the other events because geological appraiser was basically everywhere. Like if you go to Japan, it was the two of the most played decks. And the reason I think blue-white kind of fell off here is because Rakdos was the most played deck, and that's typically yeah, a yeah. predator for Azorius. So it's like the metagame, the numbers look weird, but if you look at it from a big picture, it does it does kind of make sense i mean it sounds and i might be getting ahead of ourselves it sounds like you're talking about a normal metagame with decks with strengths and weaknesses i would never (laughs) where different (laughs) representations and performances are are based off of people metagaming and having skill in in the matchups i don't know coming prepared or something skies might not be falling is what i'm getting at the you know so it's very very everything is hovering like you know 47 51 all that kind of good stuff and nothing's really standing out to me at least our we did get the top eight because we're in the i think semis right now we have max Dore Dore on is a phoenix we have jean-philippe goyer on the geological appraiser combo i like i don't know if i like it more than just kind of like hey they're doing something a little bit novel uh Jean-Philippe's deck is only using Leyline Binding for the spell-based interaction. There's like no Connive Concoct, there's no Bedeck Bedazzle, and there's a full four of the greater Tanuki creature, which is, you know, the, the four green green six five trample. Shane, that doesn't sound good, but you can channel it for two and a green. You discard it, you get a basic land, you put it onto the battlefield tapped and shuffle. So this is really saying, I want to always hit my fourth land. I'm never going to be stuck on three. Yeah, one thing about this list is, I believe this is Pascal Maynard. I, I remember seeing him tweet about this earlier, and I think he said that there was five or six people playing this exact list, and their combined win rate was, with the exact list, like 76% or something ridiculous like that. Holy moly. So yeah, this, this list was popping off this weekend. Yeah, it looks good to me. I mean, if you could play Leyline Binding, play Leyline Binding. You know what I'm saying? It's a known okay card. Ryan Primdahl on Is of Phoenix in third. Larry Buzain on the Geological Appraiser combo as well in fourth. I actually maybe forgot to look. I think their list was more standard. I don't know if they're doing the Leyline Binding thing there either. They didn't have Binding. Okay, that's what I thought. Ha Fam on Grixis Phoenix, which stretches into black for a bunch of stuff like they're they're playing bitter triumph which is the spell that we thought would see some play one in the black destroy creature or planeswalker you have to discard a card or lose three life to cast it it's got thoughtsies it's got a couple shield rate it's got a cling to dust main seems like an interesting list i like all those spells i think uh edgar magayes on is it phoenix simon carice on is it phoenix kyle gellert on rack mid so we do have a couple of the geological appraiser decks I mean, you would think that 
being 7.5% of the meta. Uh, but we do, of course, only have one Rakdos midrange. We have three Izzet Phoenix in the top eight. We've got a Grixis Phoenix, so that's a lot. Basically four Phoenix decks. So, Got a band. Picklock Prankster. Oh, one, two, three, <laughs> one, two, three, four. Oh, five is a Phoenix Dex. Five Phoenix Dex, yeah. Yeah, I one counted Grixis, correctly. But... Yeah. Wowee. So we don't have any top eight results, but like I said, not quite as important as the rest of the tournament anyway. And because meta doesn't, MTG meta doesn't have this in their data set yet, I could not add it to the earlier combined information. But there you go. I think it's pretty safe to say we have not figured out what's going on in Pioneer after no. this weekend. This, this weekend not to me... All says gives me nothing it does not say i well, i would know what to pick for my rc I, I i would probably discourage you from playing quintorius combo yeah that seems that seems pretty <laughs> good a good good thing not to play yeah quintorius combo seems bad grease fang seems bad but like discover and boros and phoenix those three seem pretty good and azori's control seem pretty good like i think if, if you're planning to play one of those four in atlanta you are probably on a pretty good footing. Yeah, I mean, w what's targeting something like Azorius control right now, Devin? Like, let's 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 talk about what's up with Pioneer, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, is if if let's say you can expect ten to fifteen percent of the room being on Discover, right? Let's just say that, like, sure. And then you can say, you know, what what is that doing to the meta? That seems like the biggest shift right now. And how are people going to prepare for that? And what does it make you want to do? Like, what's targeting something like Azorius Control right now? Like, if if Azorius Control is also like you know, or the Lotus Fuel Control is fifteen to twenty percent of the meta game, what can you bring that hopefully can target both of those things? I've got no idea. This is what I'm asking you in a very uh, weird way. Well, I know this question is for Devin, and I'm, I'm going to pose a hypothesis. And please. Devin would love to hear you confirm or reject it. But like Phoenix looks great in both being able to interact with Discover at instant speed and like outplay Supreme Verdicts, essentially. Yeah, I will say I there's one deck in Pioneer that I have not played a lot of, and it, it is Phoenix. There's That's the one deck that I don't have a ton of experience with, so I'm not 100% certain how specifically Phoenix versus Control goes. From what I've been told, I think Phoenix is a pretty sizable favorite game one because they don't have a lot of graveyard hate. But once you get to the sideboard and have to play around rest in peace, it gets a little tougher. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that Phoenix is a very good deck. I think Phoenix is one of the better decks against Discover specifically because it has so many tools to fight the combo. But if I was choosing to pick a deck that was like trying to beat both Discover and Blue-White Control, I mean... It's really tough. I mean, I, I've I was thinking about playing Boros Convoke, and maybe you just have to like try to get them dead as quickly as possible. I know I talked about Convoke being bad against Blue White because of temporary lockdown, but if you're on the play and you kill them on turn three, well, that's how you beat lockdown, right? What are your thoughts on Discover? And that's kind of you know the, the latest in a series of magazine issues I get. You know, my mailbox. You know, Magic Online Weekly where people are freaking out about Discover. You know, they're saying like, oh, you know, you can win on turn three. That seems bad. Even if you have to interact with it, you know, it's kind of warping the format. Is this something that's too warping? Is it something that's too good? Is it too annoying? Like, what are your, what's your take on this? Tough to say, because the way that I kind of look at it, 
I don't know if you guys were playing Pioneer back before Balustrade Spine under City Informer got banned, mm-hmm. but it kind of gives me a lot of Oops All Spells vibes because that very similar to this deck, that deck had eight copies of this of a card that said, if you cast this, you win the game, which Balustrade and Undercity under did. And it kind of feels a little similar to that. But the one thing I will say is I think the Discover decks are a little weaker. There's more interaction that actually can like break up the discover combo. Like we talked about fiery impulse on geo- something as simple as a shock on geological appraiser can hit that. And you can also shock the Quintorius because it only has one loyalty. So uh, stuff that deals two damage can be pretty good as far as kind of its effect on the format as a whole. I'm not generally a big fan of if you tap out on turn two of the draw, you die. Like I think yeah, that yeah. is kind of awful gameplay and you know, so maybe for that reason alone, they're, they're they could consider taking steps. One thing that I, I will mention here, you know, the ban announcement, the window is December 4th. That's a week and a half before Atlanta. If I am prepared and I am preparing for Atlanta because I am going and participating, I am playing games right now under the assumption that they are not going to change anything because it is so close to Atlanta. Now, I could be wrong and maybe they're looking at these numbers and they're like, we don't want this to happen in Atlanta. And maybe they maybe they're maybe they have a different philosophy on it. But uh, I as far as I'm concerned, I'm assuming that nothing's going to change now, at least. So how do you think people are going to approach this? So they're going to be like, okay, look, we we really think Geological Appraiser is the truth of the Discover decks. Let's get these tuned and dialed in to fight against the mirror, to fight against the the, the meta response, or is there not much that you can really do in terms of tuning it exactly how you need? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of different ways you can go. Like we saw the the list from Canada that had bindings and more ramp spells like Tanuki. There's lists that have like I've been playing lists that have had four torrential gear Hulk main because I think that is kind of the mirror breaker. So I've been more on like more torrential gear hulks, more of the uh, ramp cyclers because there's one that really sucks that nobody plays, but it cycles for a treasure and you just want more of that effect. Um, so like more of that stuff, but yeah, some have like repudiate main deck that card's good in the mirror. Some play like, like I said, more ramp spells, stuff like that. So there is a couple of different ways to approach this. And as of right now, again, things could change, but I think there's a pretty good chance I'm going to play appraiser in Atlanta and I'm going to be spending a lot of time just like tuning the list and, and figuring out what the best plan is because you need a plan B, right? Cause a lot of people are going to be prepared for the combo. So it's, you know, you need to be able to kind of keep up with their uh, like they're they're answering you so you need to answer their answer if that makes sense can we rewind for just a second devin you said something that frustrated me (sighs) not it was not a direct oh it was it was a casualty of the words he said not not the actual devin himself well it, it 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 frustrated me in like in the way that wizards of the coast frustrates us so 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 frequently in their format management your point that the ban window is like just a week or two before the RC in Atlanta. They're probably not going to make take any action so close to Atlanta. What is the point of these ban windows then? You know what I mean? Like, sure. it, it, if they're not going to take action, you're going to find the perfect it, window where it's going to upset no one. It's at, at this point, it's just like th- there is no good time. And and now I'm not saying this because I feel like Discover Combo needs to be banned or anything. But the the point of like now we're as magic analysts have to like walk on these weird eggshells where we're trying to figure out like when is the right time to take action like what is actually reasonable based on tournaments like there's there's no winning 
it seems like. Not to mention, Atlanta's the last RC. I'm sorry that we're kind of like an America-centric podcast, I think, because we are all Americans, even though I live in England. Oh, do you? It's, you know, it's like, I, I don't know that the whole world needs to cater to America's tournament schedule because Atlanta happens to be the last Pioneer RC of the season, two months after Europe, like almost a month after everyone else. Yeah. I mean, like I think I agree with you, Stan, right? Which is like, if it's bad, if it's warping, if it's unenjoyable, then, and it was a mistake, if this was not an intended design thing, not every happy accident has to remain in the format. You know what I mean? So feel free to bounce, get rid of it, you know, bounce it out of here. And I think the Explore combo did perfectly okay. It might be an interesting addition to the format that offers up a different way to shift things up. Um, I I do know that people are getting kind of tired a little bit with where things were before this set, but I mean, I don't know. I, it's like, do you want it to shake up? Does it can only shake up in certain ways? Like, is it by adding a cool creature to a deck here and there or entire new strategies have to be created? I don't know. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, I talked a lot about the set going into it and I was like, I, I was super hyped for the set. I was like, man, the set's going to be awesome. It's going to change Pioneer. And it it certainly changed Pioneer, maybe not in the way that I had anticipated because I don't remember talking about Appraiser or the Dinosaur that much. But I mean, the last thing I'll say on the ban window is I, I do kind of agree with you, but like at the end of the day... Do you think, okay, so like people who got to play the RCs this weekend, they got to, you know, get their Pro Tour qualification using like playing a certain format. And like, do you think it's fair to the competitors in Atlanta that it's like an entirely different format? Maybe, maybe that doesn't matter. Cause I guess like, I mean, this, the RC season in general is so weird because it's so spaced out. You know, like we had an RC th- like two, two months ago or something. So it's like, you're, you're already kind of <laughs> down that rabbit hole at this point anyways. So I don't know. I'll just kind of stand by my initial question is like, what is the point of these band windows if we can't use them because there happens to be a tournament coming up? Sure. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, but I think I guess that's neither here nor there. I mean, I think an important thing too is like all three of these tournaments happened with like extremely short windows before they happened at all with a new set dropping, right? So what's the real difference between a new set dropping that cracked things wide open with a band that maybe closes that crack a bit? You know, super glues it a bit shut. And I don't think there's a really big difference with either of those, you know, things happening. Like like Stan said, I think it's easier for us to sort of and I'm not even going, right? Just be like, hey, uh, don't mess with my preparation. But you know, it's the same thing can happen for, you know, South America, Canada, Japan. So, I mean, these people, the the people who participated in the ones this weekend, they got a bomb dropped on them, right? Like we were, everything was going fine for Pioneer. And then it's like, oh, hey, here's this showcase where here's two brand new combo decks. All your testing is thrown out the window. So totally on on some level, wouldn't it also make for a more interesting RC if they took action pretty close to it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that they probably should take action. Um, I'm Basically, like, I'm just not sure if they're willing to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not saying that they shouldn't ban something because it's so close to Atlanta. I just don't know if they're willing to. I don't know what their what their precedent is, you know? But then right. it goes back to your point. It's like, what's the point of the ban list at that point? And I agree with that statement. I agree. Well, we might learn that tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday. I think tomorrow is Blake's stream where he's going to have someone from Wizards talking about band philosophy. So by the time mm. this podcast even comes out, people might have insights that we don't on like 
what is or isn't bannable in the eyes of wizards kind of in a macro sense. Is the announcement on Monday the 4th? Yes. Or like the, the potential announcement? 4th, yep. Okay, cool. Well, what do you all think? I think I think we put a tie to bow on Pioneer for now, which is very loose. I don't think we know a lot about what's going on. I think there's a lot of opportunity here and potential removal of opportunity if it's decided that this is maybe a little bit too broken, not really what was intended with the mechanic. But we do have some monitor to talk about in the NRG. This one was this Wisconsin. Where was yeah, this? Madison. Madison. Oh, Madison. I love Madison. Let's take a quick little break. Do a little ad bumper. And then when we come back, we can talk some modern. So stay with us. Shane, I'm sorry. I need to interrupt you for a second. Please be quiet. I need to speak about something very important. I need to talk to you about our sponsor, Barrister and Man, and some of their newest fragrances that are available just in time for the holiday season. The first one that I'm most excited about is Midnight Special, a fragrance inspired by space westerns. We're talking Cowboy Bebop, Borderlands, The Mandalorian, even Trigun for the true heads. It's a stylish blend of sandalwood, Capeba balsam, Cipriol, Nutbag, Opopononax, Opopononax, Shane. Shane, it's got Opopononax, black peppercorn, and rasped wood. It's gloriously velvety and darkly mysterious. Perfect for a late night bounty with someone special. And maybe you prefer a more operatic sci-fi experience. Well, Barrister and Man has you covered with a fragrance named after the spice of Arrakis. It's melange. For the Dune fan in your life, melange is an interpretation of the most valuable substance in the universe. With notes of cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cardamom, bay musk, and, yes, desert air. Discover this intensely spicy, all-encompassing aroma with a sample at barristerandman.com. But all of these fragrances are available in shaving soaps, aftershave splash, aftershave balm, even the eau de toilette. And use promo code THEDIVEDOWN23 with 23 spelled out in words now over at barristerandman.com to get 10% off your first order. See you in space, cowboys. Energy Madison Modern 10K, the last energy event of the year in Madison, Wisconsin, home of the Madison Museum of Bathroom Tissue. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, Stan, you know, Madison, I feel like is a, a, a standard weekend getaway for Chicagoans. Have you been to, yes. you've been up to Madison a few times? Yeah. Um, I once remember... Uh, I think they were called MCQs, Mythic Championship oh, Qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I once played in one of those up in Madison. That was fun. Never went up with the you didn't you know you didn't go up to the you know the town stroll around with your wife or anything like that or now wife. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. not just wives, ex girlfriends. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. No, Madison is like a it's like a two maybe two and a half hour drive from Chicago, and it's cute. It's a cute little college town by the lake. They weren't ex-girlfriends at the time, right? They were like your girlfriends? Correct. Okay, yes. I, just to, I just wanted to double check. <laughs> I, just yes. want, I didn't want any timeline questions from the audience. 
<laughs> I found Stan's dating history. Um, but yes, we have results from the Energy Modern event. Now, as Shane noted, today on Sunday, they are holding a Pioneer 5K. We do not have those results just yet. So we're going to focus on the Modern Tournament for now. 209 players, eight rounds of Swiss. I was looking at the points and like the record that people needed to make top eight. And I saw some interesting habits there too. Oh, very importantly, Stan, uh, I have the NRG uh, 10K thing open on Melee. Do you know who's on camera on stream right now? George uh, Jabor. Hey, Georgie. friend of the show, George. George Jabor on, no, oh no, George is commentating. He's not on camera. I didn't know George was commentating. Way to go, George. I messed this whole thing up. That probably means he scrubbed out of the tournament. Sorry, George. Sorry, bud. Uh, well, he is on. He is on camera, right? He's on stream. Uh, yeah, you're, uh, Zoe Reederman and Ryan Hayes are on right now. She uh, Zoe's on Boros Convoke in Pioneer. Sweet, cool. Anyway, cool. Let's Love talk about modern. Yeah, let's talk about modern. So, in eight rounds of Swiss with two hundred nine players, I've I noticed that no one with a six two record was able to make top eight. <sighs> Brutal. Isn't that painful? Damn. Uh, you had to go looked, seven one. You needed at least nineteen points. Oh, six one. Though there were two people with nineteen points who didn't make the cut due to breakers. And I just, I'm just gonna say, like Casey Moon went six one one, finished the Swiss Swiss in eighth place because their emo- opponent match win percentage was sixty three point five, followed by Ryan Hayes ninth place, same record, opponent match win percentage. 62.5%. That's a 1% difference and didn't make the cut. Ryan Hayes, like I mentioned, currently on camera at 5-1 and one in the Pioneer Tournament. So Ryan's gonna, doing well gonna, for themselves. Ryan's going to take a draw this round and not and knock himself out of top eight again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start with the overall field. According to MTG Melee data, I did no manual cleanup here for deck names. So we're going to do the best we can with what we have. Most popular deck. This may come as a surprise to you guys. Rakdos Scam. Weird. 30, at least 30 copies, 14% of the meta of the field uh, with a 52.5% match win. That sounds like scam. Yeah. Most representative. Scammy win rate. 52 to 53% match win percent. It it almost feels like a lower win percentage than maybe what we're used to. Just a little bit. I feel like, you know, when we go over these things, like scams always like just like low 50s, but it's always low 50s. And, you know, as I've mentioned ad nauseum, it's just like we know that it just is so consistent across a lot of matchups. So it's like just it's the tournament deck of tournament decks and it continues to do so here. Yep. Uh, second most popular deck not too far behind was Team Rhinos, 24 copies, almost 11 and a half percent, 47 percent. Match win. It's not percentage. great. I, yeah, I, I dug through a bunch of these lists just so I could see how many people were on the Tide Binder, and basically everyone was like on yes. you know, two to three Tide Binders. So this is Tide oh, yeah. Binder, Team of Rhinos. I want to buy four. I think that yeah. sick. It, I mean, it looks fun. Yeah, I, I I played four at an RCQ yesterday. Um, I didn't do well, which should like I'm not going to talk about my results. <laughs> probably going to tell you how well I did, but. It's interesting. Like it's it's obviously a really powerful card, but it's still I think hard to determine like exactly where it's best and where it doesn't have enough range. Like yeah, I I am honestly on the fence on like whether it's even good enough against scam. Like on the one hand, like after turn three, stifling a a trigger <laughs> it sounds pretty appealing, but it almost seems a little too late by then. So I don't know. 
I will say I got two of my four of the uh, borderless versions and mm-hmm. it is like the wildest ma- you know normal like not secret lair magic card art I have I think ever purchased. It is it's something. It is so rad. It is so weird. I I cannot wait to cast that thing in real life. The third most popular deck, a pretty significant drop off here. 15 copies was four color omnath, 7% of the field, 50 just just about 57 match win percentage. I will say the second place deck in the Swiss is also one of those. Did you already incorporate that? Yes. Okay. Got it. I just want to make sure the all other deck list, Isaac Bullwinkle tried to pull the wool over our eyes. Did not succeed. Fourth most popular was Amulet Titan. 13 copies, 6%, 45% win rate. Pretty low. Yeesh. Hard, hard, hard weekend for Amulet. I mean, Scam is likely the, a tough matchup. Rhinos is also like kind of a tough matchup there. I think because oh, yeah. Tidebinder is fairly active against them by the time they're starting to do amulet stuff unless they have double amulets on turn two um but you know yeah force force of vigor too that's that's a big one in the sideboard um next burn 12 copies six percent 49 percent match win hey, this is this just like, say 49 percent for burn this is like burn this is like burn winning winning a pro tour basically pretty much yeah after that, Mono White Hammer, 10 copies, 5% of the field, 56% Dang. match wins. Okay, Rakdos Evoke is its oh, own other thing Stanislav. here. Oh, come uh, on. Oh, this man. is what happens when we don't clean up our data. Uh, this, this is a, Okay, so we got 39 Rakdos Scam, about 18 and a half, 18 and a half, and probably what, about like a 54% win rate then? So Stan was right. It did seem low. Yes. <laughs> there you go. All right. Golgari, Yogmoth, nine, at least nine copies. Um, that's 4% of the field, but a 36% Brutal. match win rate. That's bad. I don't know what Yogg is doing in the format right now. Like, I appreciate the Yogg truthers, but I, I just don't. I mean, I guess you're really leaning on the Soul Cauldron, but it just does not seem like the place to win right now. Especially with what, because Tidebinder can shut down all that, all those shenanigans, right? Yes. Yeah, and also, isn't Yawgmoth just, like, pretty terrible into the top four decks? Like, bad into Scam, terrible into Rhinos, bad into Omnath, and I would assume not fast enough to beat Titans. So it's like, what is Yawgmoth even beating in this metagame? Does not look like much, honestly, based on the <laughs> based on the numbers. Yeah, right. After Yawgmoth is Merktide with seven copies, 3% of the field, 47% win rate. Not a strong showing for Merktide. Kind of where we probably expect it, to be honest. Yeah, 48%. Yeah. Merktide. It's like, it's just like the the opposite end of the curve of like scam most of the time, where it's like scams like fifty three, is a Merktide like forty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a little bit of a surprise for me. Living end five copies, at least five copies, fifty four percent win rate. Yeah, a little bit of comeback. Yeah. Um, hardened scales also five copies, sixty point five percent win rate. I mean that checks out. Like in a room full of scammers. Yep. Hard and scale comes for lunch. Mono Green Tron, four copies, 38% win rate. Ay, ay, ay. That like, also kind of checks out. I like that the uh, the Excel reformatting here, Stanislav, says it, it tied 2,000 matches. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> you don't know what people were doing between rounds. True. <laughs> um, and then the last one on, on 
on my list is Jund Sagavan, also four copies, 55-ish percent win rate. Fairly good for Jund. Better than Merktide. Yeah, that's that's good. I feel like Wait, so the Green Tron player just played two thousand times against the Jun Sagavan player? Is that what yeah, happened? Yeah, so that's what it looks like in this in this data. But I mean I I think like the Jun stuff I feel like has maybe been a little bit slept on recently yeah. like i feel like you know the every time we talk about it it's like a few people and like it's always it's doing like pretty darn well for itself i have not come close to even testing this deck in the past year and a half so i'm clueless i would imagine it's good against scam right just like grindy value deck that gets to play saga because scam's going a little bit lower on blood moons these days yeah do not like seeing urza saga on the other side of the table i, I just feel like the, the problem with the scam matchup though is Fury, like a scam fury seems really good against them. Like it'll kill Goyf, it'll like kill sometimes Goyf and something else, whether it's Ragavan or whatever else they have. So hard to say. We don't have an MTG meta matrix for this one. I, I just looked to see if there was one and there isn't yet. So that'll be interesting once it actually happens, if and when it happens. But um, let's look at the top eight really quick because there's some interesting stuff here. At the end of the Swiss, in first place was Ray Smith on Demir Control. Was I think Ray? I think I saw that there was one Demir Control deck at the whole tournament, and it was Ray. Good conversion rate. Cool. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Looking at Ray's list, I I would actually say it's like it's not really that fancy. It's playing eleven creatures, two Murktai, two Shieldred, three Subtlety, four Bowmasters. Uh, one of the most interesting includes, in my opinion, is just the one of Narset. Finds you cards, but also shuts off the Beanstalk decks. Probably pretty good. It mostly relies on counter spells for interaction, but does have one damnation, four push, and two edicts, and of course, four copies of the one ring. There was an interesting sideboard include I want to ask about, which is two cursed totem, which is an artifact that reads activated abilities of creatures can't be activated. What is this for? What creatures are activating abilities? It's for uh, Yogmoth and Scales. Okay then. <laughs> A uh, simple answer <laughs> for a simple question. I don't think it's good against much else, but it's definitely those two decks. Yeah, and there was only two copies of it. Like, it's not the worst call. Like, if you're expecting a lot of scam, you can maybe assume a bunch of people are going to bring hardened scales to try to fight that. So I respect it. Next up, Isaac Bullwinkle on four-color Beanstalk. And this is not the Cascade deck. This is just the typical-looking four-color Omnath deck with Beans, one ring, Teferi, Ren and Six, Solitudes and Fury. It does have the one main deck endurance, so you don't deck yourself, and then it's just doing Omnath stuff. Up next, Kyle Gonzalez on Amulet Titan. Very stock-looking deck list to me. Yeah, um, none, does, does this have any of the new stuff people were thinking they would see? I don't see. I did not see Spelunking. No Spelunking. No not in this version. Spelunking, as Dave would say. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder, what do they cut? You know, he's playing one Cultivator Colossus, one Expedition Map. I don't know, like, Spelunking probably isn't better than the One Ring. I think they were shaving on Azusa, if I recall correctly. Like, trimming down to one Azusa and then trimming, like, think, a, maybe a land, maybe a copy of Greaser. I can't remember exactly, but just like, mm -hmm. just like two copies, I think is what I've been seeing. Yeah. All right, up next, Theo Jung on Rhino's. I mean, fairly stock, I think, for what we expect from Teamer Rhinos these days. Three Tide Binders in the main to make room for one Fury. No Brazen Borrower, which took me a little bit by surprise. But people in our Discord were saying that, like, Borrower is not great now. I'm starting to think that that's probably true. Um, tide Binder seems to, like, 
deal with whatever bar- borrower wants to bounce in terms of like problematic permanence. And then you have dead gone to actually do bouncing of creatures. If you want to like get through with rhino damage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only situation that I, that I could see coming up is like, if you have chalice or if they have chalice and you're like, normally you would just borrow the chalice in a turn, but you have to wait yeah. till you get to six mana. So you can go cascade spell and then Tishana's tie binder, the chalice trigger. So it's like, could be kind of awkward there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So tide binder, I would say makes the turn one suspend much better since you yeah. can now like save a force of negation or a tie binder for whatever it is they're trying to do to, to, to mess with you. But one thing I want to call out from uh, Theo's sideboard is two Magus of the moon, but no blood moons. You know, I hear people saying things like blood moon isn't so great against Tron anymore because they have the one ring and car small Karn is, are, are we only blood mooning amulet Titan decks now? I mean, I don't think that the Omnath decks still want to see a Blood Moon, do they? Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. The, yeah, I mean, I did notice that Jesse Robkin was also playing Team of Rhinos. She had no Blood Moon effects in her 75, just two Obsidian Charma on the side. Yeah. I think as far as Magus versus Blood Moon, there are three copies of Flame of Anor in Theo 75, and Magus being a wizard for Flame might might lead you more towards Magus over Blood Moon. That's interesting. Mm. I can dig it, but it. But then you 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 just like can't play that against the beans decks because they'll Correct. solitude it or yeah, fury it, and yeah, it's, it's terrible over. against beans. And I I think even like Tron is bringing in dismembers to deal with with Rhino, so they're going to kill the. They're probably just going to kill the the Magus too. So maybe maybe you're not trying to interact with those decks with Blood Moon effects right now. All right, up next. A Adams on scam, pretty stock deck, only one Molten Collapse in the main, one more in the side, followed by Fletcher Johnson, also on scam, nearly identical to A Adams deck. And then our last two decks are Casey Moon and Dave the Dinosaur. (laughs) Their name on MTG Melee is just Dave with a little dinosaur emoji. And both of them were on Mono Black Coffers. Exactly what you'd expect out of Mono Black Coffers. It's Karn, Shieldred, Bowmaster, the One Ring, and Black Cards. The one I, addition I do want to call out in Casey's deck is two copies of Sunken Citadel, which is a new cave from Lost Caverns, and it enters the battlefield tapped. As it enters, you choose a color, and it taps to add one mana of the chosen color, but it has this extra ability, which is pretty interesting, which is tap to add two mana of the chosen color, spend this only to activate abilities of land sources. Hmm which you use to tap your Cabal Coffers with just the one Sunken Citadel instead of two Swamps or whatever you have out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I played almost this exact list. I think I played like one or two cards different trying out the Sunken Citadel, and I was very, very impressed with it. Uh, not only does it allow you to activate Coffers, so you get like a little bit of a boost of mana, but if you go turn one Citadel, you can actually activate Field of Ruin on turn two, which gives you ways to beat Tron on the draw that you wouldn't have before. Devin... As as a four shieldred owner now, is there any reason I shouldn't just be playing this deck? Besides, I have to like buy four cabal coffers. <laughs> I mean, I do think it's a very very good deck. I mean, I, I, mean, I love Karn. Know, I love Karn boards. Yeah, no, I've I've been like waffling between this between coffers and rhinos for my next my my next or last RCQ. I think it's my last one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like the I like the coffers deck. Not sure which one I want to play, but they're both pretty good. Yeah, Shane, I, th- I think you should give it a go. It had a 60% win rate. Ooh. At least three copies, maybe only three. But even so, like, 
I think the deck is is good and somewhat underplayed. I mean, if I can play a cardboard, I'm happy. Was that the whole top eight stand? You got through both of those mono black decks, or yeah, that was that was the whole top eight. I, did you notice that there were f- five ring decks in the top eight? Yes, <laughs> I did notice this. The one ring known okay modern magic card. Hmm. Hmm. But you said what? Fletcher Johnson won on the uh, scam, right? Correct. Fletcher won. So I actually can't tell who they played in the finals. We know the top four bracket. So they either played against Coffers or Rhinos. But um, Energy or MTG Melee doesn't have the finals or the semifinals data. It just has the top eight. And then Energy Tweets told us who the winner was. I do want to point out one honorable mention if we're done talking about like top eight and the broader medic. Oh yeah, let's go. Jordan Litsky's 10th place deck, five color control. What am I, I just want to read some, can I just share some highlights from yeah. this deck? 19 creatures, including Orcish Bowmaster in Solitude, Elish Norn. Okay, fine. Ranger Captain of Eos, Martyr of Sands, Eagles of the North, Thraven Inspector, Giant Killer. Haywire might. These are cards. Legal are modern cards. cards. Legal modern cards. They are also playing four copies of the One Ring and Leyline Binding, as well as three Supreme Verdicts and Prismatic Endings. So, like, we have a control package. We have Teferi Time Revelers and the weirdest assortment of white creatures. Yeah, these numbers are so strange. It's like two Ranger Captain, two Martyr, one Thraben Inspector. <laughs> it's like so weird. So I guess all that Ranger Captain can actually fetch is Martyr of Sands, Haywire Might, Thraven Inspector, and Giant Killer. Yeah. So it's it's like a toolbox of right. like, do you need to gain some life? Do you need to answer a one ring or some other problematic artifact? Do you need to kill something with the chop down adventure on Giant Killer? So I, I guess like that's kind of an interesting little techie package, but... This person did fairly well. I mean, I think they went 6-2. Or no, yeah. I think they went 6-1-1. No, I think one, they were X-1-1. One, one. They, they got bubbled out, yeah. Yeah. Their breakers were pretty awful. So there you go. Sweet. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the leaderboard right now, and we have... It's updated from yesterday. So all of the non-at-large finishers are locked in. Raja Suleiman from last year's winner. We got the show, showdown winners of Stephen Dickman, uh, Daniel Weiser, Matthew Hoey, Kyle Gonzalez, Jonathan Hobbs, Fletcher Johnson. And then the team people were Eric Bugart, uh, Bergart, Matthew Weiss, and Grayson Nemitz. So we have the six at-large finishers right now. And I think a few of them are locked up. I think a few of them maybe have a chance of losing. And that would be we have uh, Theo Young at 108 points. I think they're pretty much set to be one of the six at-large competitors. Will Kowalczyk at 100 points. Ben Ungar at 97. And then I think maybe things get a little... These are kind of maybe the more open ones. Chris Smith at 90. Derek Davis at 84. Ryan Hayes at 81. Ryan Hayes, I, that's the person who was 5-1 and one just when we were starting this conversation, right? So yep. I think Ryan also is probably going to lock up one of those six spots with this pioneer finish they have cliff boyer d at 75 sarah shearing at 66 a adams at 66 we got a bunch of and then some well, a couple other people i think within maybe shouting distance uh cat granger miller miller granger and travis williams at 64 and 63 points so i think those what one two three four five six yeah i don't know i think maybe 
maybe the people in the 60s have a shot, depending on just who's at this event and how they're performing. So we'll know more uh, when the final uh, people that are being at the at the NRG Series Championship show up. Are you commentating that, Devin, or is it kind of conflicting with other plans you have? Uh, I don't know if they've sent out invites or if they've like determined who is going to be commentating it, so I am not sure as of right now. Here's Here's hoping we hear you. Would you like to do it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. If they asked me, I definitely would. I took this weekend off because I thought I was going to be uh, going on a longer vacation for Thanksgiving, but it turned out that I wasn't gone as long. So, and, and I ended up feeling sick yesterday anyway, so I probably would have taken the day off. But word, Stanislav, I think we've learned yeah. we've learned nothing new about modern. But <laughs> besides that, I still we, like all these decks, every one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Modern is interesting. I'll be sad for the modern RCQ season to go. I don't know when we'll get to care about modern again because standard is the next RCQ season. We get to become a standard podcast. I'm I'm gonna push for this. I, I don't think Shane knows that I'm gonna push for this, but I'm going to push for this. Some standard coverage at least. What's another episode on another format between friends? I'm I'm gonna be playing a lot of standard. So Shane is looking right at the camera like he's trying to peer into my room. <laughs> so, I was, so I was looking at I was looking at your face on my screen, right? And I was doing kind of like a you know this this you know half lidded uh, non plus look, and then I was realizing that it didn't have the same effect as if I was actually looking at the camera. And it could be for Devin, could be for Stan. Who knows? Yeah, I mean we don't have to worry about that until next year, really. But why not? I mean, Lord Lord knows I need more reason to play Magic. So well, good thing you have this Mana Trader subscription. You can play any deck in any format. Good point. If I can get a pairing on Magic Online for Standard, we'll see. Fair point. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our store at the dive slash store head over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and playmats featuring the equip mag system use devin's promo code doomwake that's D-0-0-M-W-A-K-E to get 10% off your first order at Heavy Play. And shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN23, all one word, you'll get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN23. Now, 23 is spelled out here. We're trusting you to spell it correctly, but that gets you 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. And save money on paper cards over at Nerdridge with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order at NRG. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and visit Madison's Museum of Bathroom Tissues!